Good morning to you all. As I said earlier, here we are, the Sunday after Christmas. The big day has come and gone. But as his followers, aren't you glad he didn't come for just that one day? So often during this season, we hear the world grumbling and mumbling about all the work and the money and the time leading up to that big day. And then they all breathe a collective sigh of relief when it's all over. There's part of me that grieves every time I hear that. Grateful there's so much more to the story. So much more than, you know, the night before Christmas and the cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning and the relatives and the visits and the gifts. We know all that in our heads, in our hearts. But leading up to the 25th, do we really preach that story to our own circles? That totally amazing and real reason that he came, that he was incarnated, born to Mary and spent those first hours in a feeding trough. You know, that real reason that he came. By way of review, over these last four weeks or so, we've walked through Advent hearing about finding that focal point of hope, the hope that we know Jesus is coming again, the idea of waiting for him with expectation. The second week, we talked a lot about John the Baptist, and Pastor Jeff talked about having a John the Baptist ornament on his tree, and we talked about getting real as we live in the wildernesses of this life, the wilderness of sin, the wilderness of empty religion, kind of going through the motions, the wilderness of life that we're all struck by on a regular basis, and lastly, the reality of Jesus being right there with us in the wilderness of this life. Then we were challenged by the question of, am I leaving room in my life to trust in God? as we pondered John's hard question from prison when he asked, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Last Sunday, we talked about the reality of Jesus showing up in the mess of this world. Joseph's life became quite complicated, a change he didn't see coming. Ever have that happen in your life? Change you didn't see coming? Well, that's what it was like for Joseph with the news of Mary's pregnancy. Mary, an innocent young teen, she had to endure the judgment and whispers of neighbors as her pregnancy became obvious. Misjudged, a deep sense of aloneness. Have you ever felt those things? Sometimes we feel those even in our churches. On Christmas Eve, Pastor Jeff reminded us of the many times in Scripture that we're admonished to not fear. And we wrote those things on little pieces of paper that evening and dropped them in the manger down there, again remembering that he's with us in those hard places. We just need to regularly release those fears to him. So as we ponder today's passage from Hebrews, let's think some on this reality that he came to be real to us in our everyday stuff. This letter to the Hebrew church was written for the Jewish believers who were enduring great 
persecution in their day. They needed these words as encouragement, and I hope we're encouraged by them as we share them today. Let's remember these few truths as we begin. Jesus walks right beside us here in 2019 in all the pains of this life. He came to set us free from our fears. And he came to solve that sin issue of our souls and to be all that we need when we're faced with the temptations of this life. The temptation to doubt, the temptation sometimes to just quit, the temptation to take the reins again and just do life our way. Henry Nouwen writes, Christmas is the renewed invitation not to be afraid and to let him, Jesus, be our companion. Jesus, whose love is greater than our own hearts and minds, can ever comprehend. Christmas is that renewed invitation to let him be our companion. So yes, Christmas can be great, but Jesus really came to us for the everyday of our lives. Do you believe that? Let's share in the scripture from this morning from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those, us, who are being tempted. As I read and pondered these words in the last few weeks in preparation for today, I had to ask myself this question, and it's one I pose to you this morning. Do I believe he came to be with us in all the highs and lows of this life. These verses from this letter to the Hebrews do as much as any place in the Bible to help us grasp the holy mystery of John 1.14, which says, the word became flesh and lived among us. Lisa Fishbeck writes, in Christ, God became one of us. In Christ, God is with us in our suffering. In Christ, we have been freed from the fear of death. This passage goes on to speak about the humanity of Jesus and the reality that he was the forerunner of our salvation. We note that there was divine intention 
for Jesus to be in full solidarity with the people of God. And in the latter portions of the passage, we read of the benefits of Jesus sharing in our humanity, especially in his deliverance of the people of God from the fear of death and his preparation for high priestly service on their behalf before God. The assertion in this verse 10 of this passage is noteworthy as we read, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of our salvation perfect through what he suffered. Kevin Anderson highlights this and says, in our human way of thinking, it's sometimes difficult to comprehend But the appropriateness of God's actions in the death of Christ is not in its accommodation to human need or even our understanding, but in the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. But how can that be so? We ask that question in our own places of pain and losses and non-answers. How can something good come out of this? How can we explain this scenario or that pain in a way that would bring some sort of peace and comfort. Earlier this month, Joe and I experienced this in the loss of someone close to us that was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer at age 36. 37 days later, he died. It was an intense, difficult 37 days and not a peaceful departure for him. So how does one make sense of that for this family, for this young man's family, most of which are non-believers? So we do the only thing we know to do. We lean into the God that this passage reminds us of. It reminds us that God knows. It reminds us that God walks with us. And he fully understands our questions, our doubts, and our losses because he shared in our humanity during his own years on earth. For me, this was one of the worst scenarios around death, though we never want to lose anyone that we love. When an illness or tragedy comes on with no warning, and it's painful and hard and no time for goodbyes or closure, I think it's safe to say it's an underlying fear that we all have. And this passage speaks to God's desire to free us from the fear, the gripping fear of that. Not from the grief that we humanly experience deeply, but from living gripped by this fear of death. And I think, as we all know, sometimes death isn't physical. Sometimes we experience the death of life as we knew it. We experience the death of dreams. We experience the death of relationships sometimes. And that list could go on. Since we have flesh and blood, he shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds that power of death, the devil, and free those who all their lives are held in slavery by the fear of death. And the truth is for all of us, until we resolve our own issue of salvation and where we'll go after this life on earth, we will fear death too. Stephen Machia of Leadership Transformation Institute writes, quoting from Isaiah 53.3, The Messiah was to be despised and rejected, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. And Stephen goes on to say, the greatest servant of all would become the one who suffered the most. Why would all of this become reality for our Messiah, Jesus? Very simply, to declare his empathy, 
for our suffering and to offer salvation from the infirmities of our broken hearts. As our long-awaited Messiah, he came to bear the curse of our diseases and to show his liberating love for all of his disciples. God's humanness through Jesus made him entirely merciful and faithful to us. He gets our fears. He gets our struggles. And his time on earth was God's plan to restore humans to the glory he intended, going all the way back to creation. Jesus is our forerunner, preceding us to heavenly glory. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verses 1 and 2, in the NIV it reads, and this is a favorite life verse of mine, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We see here that Jesus is referenced as the pioneer of our faith, and a pioneer by definition is an initiator, a leader, one who's in solidarity with others, leading them to a new place. And that's what this verse calls us to. That's the essence of the story of Jesus coming and dying and his promise to us to return again one day. So though Jesus came in an unusual way, and we celebrate him in a number of ways through this time of year, again, he really came to walk with us every day and to shoulder the burden of our fears, yes, even the fear of death. He came to carry the everyday pains we hold that we cannot seem to find relief from. And as we commit all of ourselves to him, he leads us to glory, to that eternal life with him one day. But life in heaven one day wasn't all he came for. Every day that he gives us breath, he has a purpose for our days and calls us to bring his kingdom life to this earth, right where we're living now. He calls us to extend that love and the truth of God and the care that we've received from him to all the lives that we touch in the everyday of our lives, bringing that hope of the gospel wherever we find ourselves. When we give ourselves away to him to serve this world, there's a fulfillment that cannot be found any other way. Not in any amazing career, not in any full bank account, or even in great family life. There's an emptiness that lingers within all of us until we fully surrender every part of our life to him, our time, our gifts, our resources, even our failures. He takes all of that and uses it for the good of his kingdom. Howard Thurman writes, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks. The work of Christmas then begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. You know, lots of times people don't want to hear about the Bible or they don't really want to hear about your church. But they might be willing to hear your story 
about the difference that God has made in your life? Who are you sharing that story with these days? Maybe that'll happen as we seek to feed the hungry. And hunger is not always physical. Maybe it'll happen as we seek to bring peace to a place where there's discord or strife. Maybe it'll happen as we seek to heal the broken around us. These truths are important because I think about, so often I've witnessed people falling away from God, not only, but especially as they move into young adulthood. Because they cannot see the connection between the life they live every day, strife of the high school hallways, the difficulties of family life, betrayal by friends, the uncertainty of the future of this world we live in, the temptations thrown their way every day. They cannot see the connection between all of that and what scripture tells us. From the day I started at Keystone over five years ago, I've sought with God's help to try and build that bridge. For that population, to me, is really a microcosm of the society that we live in, in so many ways, as they wrestle through their recovery. A big question they're often stuck in is, what in the world does God have to do with the messes of my life? And does he even care? Sometimes I get a lot of long, hard stares as I share the gospel each week. But keep trusting the words of Isaiah 55:11 that his word will not return empty. The devotional we use, Born the King, for this season has been rich with thoughts and ideas. And um, quoting now from one of Christine Hung's um, passages from last week. And she pointed us to Psalm 146, 2. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. And she reminds us of this and she writes, God is working in the lives of his people. And in this passage, we see his active presence in this fallen world where he is, listen to these words, creating, liberating, sustaining, restoring, and protecting. When we sing out these words of declaration as the psalmist did, it's not just a hope, but also a great expectation that the glory of the Lord will break through the darkest places of our lives. What is that dark place for you that you're praying for breakthrough? Christine goes on to share the diversity of the voices that drew on these words throughout history. She says, King David professes these truths as is evidenced during the direst of times that he witnessed and lived through. So many of the Psalms are written by David. An uprising of brave Christians sang this psalm when gathering in Nazi Germany to sign the Barman Declaration, a document essentially that drew a line that distinguished them from a corrupted body of German Protestant churches. They confronted the spirit of darkness with these words of hope and promise. Imprisoned Korean Christians like Esther Ahn Kim memorized chapters of the Bible and meditated on these words for comfort and strength while being tortured for their faith during a period of persecution in the 30s and 40s. And African-American slaves sang words of praise and lament to the Lord as a form of nonviolent protest against slavery and bondage. Negro spirituals were filled with the psalmist theme of liberation, such as these found in Psalm 146, and did much to fill their anguished hearts with hope, comfort, and dignity. 
So I leave you this morning with some key questions to ponder after studying this verse, these verses in Hebrews. As we close out this year, this decade, as we've mentioned earlier, these questions to ponder and fixate our thoughts on as we move into this new space and continue on our journey of allowing God to do that transforming work in all of us. What are you and I found doing in these places when Christmas fades? The times together are over, back to the routine, the difficult jobs, the bills, the challenges of everyday life. We remember Jesus came for us and we just celebrated that wholeheartedly, but oh, that's just the beginning. What are we found doing in January, in April, in September with our anguished hearts to breathe hope and comfort and dignity back into them? When we are battle-weary and we have to live in the tension of having no real answers to a particular situation, or maybe many situations. Secondly, how do we let God in to liberate us from that fear of death? Can we say that we've resolved that issue of death for ourselves, that fear of death, death that we'll all one day face? How do we allow his grace to truly sustain us, restore us, protect us? He does want to break through the darkest places of our lives, as Christine Hung reminds us in this writing. Will we be found declaring the truth of these psalms or of the scriptures as a whole when we don't know what else to do or is our first line of defense? We need to be declaring his word. What his word tells us is true. He's faithful and true, and he redeems the pains of our lives. He never walks away from us, even when others do. He understands our human ways and comes to set us free from the fears in this life. This renowned theologian Dallas Willard posed these questions to us, and these are the final few questions in this book. I know that it was mentioned earlier in this series, Renovation of the Heart and Daily Practice. He asked this question, what do you need to be freed from? Sometimes it's the fear of death, but it can be the fear of fill in the blank talked about this on Christmas Eve. What would it look like for you to move forward on this continuum of identifying your will with God's surrender, abandonment, contentment, participation? What do you need to release to God? Maybe this release again in order to fully embrace what he has for you in this life. And will it concludes with these final thoughts? Let's commit to confessing those roadblocks in our lives. What are those roadblocks? Doubt, fear, control, unforgiveness. As we close out this year and look to this new decade that lies before us, let's commit to practicing community with those who will stretch us. We need to be in those settings where we're learning and growing, maybe for some new, from some new faces, some new teachers, so that we're stretched and brought to new places. Let's commit to serving in a way that makes abandonment a reality. Let's do some things that are different, not so comfortable, maybe a little less familiar to us. Maybe the hardest for some of us, as Will reminds us, we must practice solitude to surrender ourselves regularly to God. These verses we pondered from Hebrews today reminds us that God sent his son with intention. So let's do these things we've talked about with intention. Let us live a life for him with intention, not out of religious duty, but out of love for him, for what he has done, 
and for the reality that he gets us. He anguishes with us. And he promises to never leave us or forsake us. Because, and because he came, and because he promises to come again. I'm going to ask the worship team to come now as we conclude our time together. Let's ponder these questions in the weeks ahead. Let's seek to answer the questions before God with honesty, fully releasing ourselves to him who loves us like no other and continues to transform us and shape us into his likeness. Amen. Would you receive the benediction this morning? Father God, after finding our true home in your birth this Christmas, let our journeys always be in your steps. Let our steps always be in your joy, in your peace, even in your suffering. May we grow deeper in our journeys as we enter this new year, and may we not resist process of your transformation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now we go in your name and in the reality of your peace and your purposes go now in his name happy new year amen